The time is now. What is the secret to success? Movement. People look at you strange saying you change, like you work that hard to stay the same. Like you're doing all this for a reason. Hard work. Yeah. Works. This podcast is brought to you by Calcica Fit app. Uh, that's right, we got an app also. The Fit app gives you unlimited access to over 100 high-quality fitness classes, and you can choose from a mix of spin, strength, TRX, HIT, yoga, Pilates, meditation, mobility workouts. We got some new content coming out. I just did a DJ spin class. That's going to be coming out pretty soon. So check all those things out. Download the Calcica Fit app. Go to Apple Store, go to the Google Store, Android Store, and you can get it all done there. It's very simple. It's our Netflix version of fitness. And point and click and have fun. And by the way, it's less than 50 cents a day. Yeah. All right, so I'm joined right now by Michael Scala. If you haven't checked out the podcast where I sit down with him, check that out. Uh, he's also kind of our music guy, music producer, extraordinaire. And so we want to get, what is your top three artists that you like to use when you work out? Um, that's a good question. A lot to pick from. But I would say for a little harder sound, I would say Justice is I like a lot. Okay. Um, French group. Gotcha. More kind of... Cardio or maybe even kind of spinning type stuff. A little longer song, Dead Mouse. Mm -hmm. And then kind of a maybe a good mix between the two and maybe a little different variety is just the Spinning Records label. Yeah. I think they put together... I feel like you kind of like them as well. Yeah, the, I think if you go on Spotify, they have a Spinning's Top 100 and it's kind of a good list to kind of grab from yeah i think i think they do a great job of getting a nice variety of stuff so then it just makes it it's a it's a uh it it's a good blend between like justice dead mouse you know traditional edm new edm yeah um trance stuff so it's cool but those 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 are my top three right now awesome love it yeah so we just got done listening to michael scala give his uh two cents about what type of music he loves listening to. We're now going to jump into a conversation that I had with Ron DeCoven, one of the most decorated lawyers, uh, barristers um, in the world, um, has had a very interesting career, grew up on the south side of Chicago. Um, we spoke a lot about that transition and how hard work and luck and, and just being yourself kind of got him to where he is. And we also further discussed some of the tech uh, companies that he's started and he's growing as we speak. Um, so this was a great conversation. Sit back, uh, learn a little something from Ron DeCoven. Yeah. Hello, boys and girls. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to another Trainers Talk. Uh, today's uh, one is gonna be very special. Um, I'm sitting in paradise with the one and only Ron DeCoven. Thank you. Thank you. And before we get started, I want to read off a couple of things 
Uh, Ron is a barrister and a lawyer. And I want to read it off a couple of things because the, the list is long. We won't go through all of it because I think we'll, it will be like the Star Wars, the beginning of Star Wars where you see the credits in the story <laughs> if we go through it all. But uh, Mr. Coven was called to the bar in Illinois and New York in 1968 and 1980, respectively. Uh, in 1980, Mr. DeCoven became a partner of Sherman and Sterling in New York. He ran several of the firm's practices uh, during that time. And then after moving to London in 2003, uh, Mr. DeCoven became an associate member of the South Square Chambers and was permitted by the Bar Council to practice New York and U.S. federal law in chambers. In 2008, Mr. DeCoven, I'll, I'll go even through this, Long story short, became a barrister and uh, continued to play, uh, practice law as a New York lawyer and an English barrister. And then when did you move to Calistoga? 2012. 2012. So in 2012, moved here, made this your primary residence. Right. And uh, you are currently the CEO of My Lawyer and My Barrister. Right. Right. And which are law tech firms, which we'll, we'll get to down the road. Fair enough. Uh, I, I, I know that's, that is really brief, uh, as, as long as your list is. Um, so let's, uh, let's, we'll start kind of from the beginning. Um, what, you grew up in Chicago. Yes. And what year were you born? 1944. Awesome. And so what, you know, you've, you've went from Chicago you graduated from Stanford for your bachelor's. You graduated from University of Chicago from, for your law degree. Um, so what from the South Side of Chicago, what did that give you growing up? I, I think that uh, the whole experience was um, fairly modest. Yeah. But in retrospect, that was a benefit. You know, by virtue of not having a lot of things, uh, it, I think it shaped my approach to life. Yeah. Which um, I'm happy about. Yeah. And we've been training, um, you know, I've been your personal trainer since kind of 2012, once you really moved here. Yes. And uh, that has been a cool, you know, I, I call you uh, my brother from another mother. <laughs> uh, and, and so, you know, we've been able to build a relationship within the training and, and, and we share stories of us growing up and, and things that we're doing now. And I, I wanted to, one of the reasons I wanted to interview you is one, is that you're very humble about talking about your you know your career and the different things you've accomplished and i think you know your story is a you know a story that's worth hearing and and seeing and maybe one day reading uh actually like a little kind of side story so when you were a pepsi um you were you were the one delivering you were kind of getting the oh yeah i was on the truck oh <laughs> And I remember us talking about how when you, you would do that, and that summer you got in some really great shape because of the deliveries that you were doing. 
Right. So I was probably the biggest of the boys. Yeah. So they would give me the inner city routes. Yes. And the reason for that is that in the inner city, the liquor stores and the bars, basically the only storage they had was in the basement. Yeah. So they'd have these winding metal open staircases. Wow. And Pepsi-Cola just introduced the 16-ounce glass bottle. <laughs> so the, the little wheelie thing was designed for 12-ounce. Yeah, wow. And the drivers were nice. They would give you advice. But then you know, they were talking to the bartender, writing up the order. Once you were there, it was your job to find whatever it is they had ordered, put it on the little wheelie, bring it inside, take it down the metal staircase, and then bring up the dirty empties. So first day, driver says, kid, I just got one bit of advice for you. I said, okay. He said, he explained the staircase. He said, now, this happens to everybody. At some point, you're going to lose the load. Don't grab it, because it'll suck you right down the staircase. Jeez. I said, yes, sir. So, you know, they have skids on the back. So, I've got, he had to do, I think, five cases. So, because they were 16 ounces, it was actually above the hand grip. So you, you got like this. Yeah. Not like this. I never lost a bottle because I was really careful. But the, the worst delivery I ever had to make was a, a bar that had a Weimar on her, a, a male. And the bartender said, wait, don't move. I said, Okay. And he goes through a doorway and I hear noises. And finally he says, all right, you can come in. So he's, he's straddling a big male with a two by four in the male's mouth. And he's drooling. <laughs> <laughs> and he's holding him back so I can bring the Pepsi-Cola through and then go down the staircase. And I had to make two round trips. I have to tell you, it, it toughened me up. So you had a, there, there was, what, was it a mob situation? What, what was that? You don't, you don't ask, yeah, you don't. Yeah, you, you know, the, yeah, this, yeah. this was the south side of Chicago. Totally. Probably one of the most difficult routes that would end there was a turnaround, um, and the um, um, headquarters of the Black Peacestone Nation was at the turnaround. Wow. It was also a, a huge elevated stop. Yeah. And then Peacestone's Nation's, was that pretty much a gang, uh, like a, a, the, the it, gang? It, it was a gang. Yeah. And, you know, they were serious about things. Yes. So, uh, you know, when you, when you get a job, 
they tell you this is what you're doing to COVID. You get in the bus and you just do it. It was during the day too. Yeah. So again, when I had started, an, an older bus driver took me aside out of the blue and he said, I'm going to tell you a couple of things. I want you to listen because it may save your life. So I listened. So one of the three things he told me was as you're pulling up to a stop, if you see anyone wearing one of those silk-looking jackets, or if they have a chain around their neck, you keep going. He said, I don't care if there's a 100-year-old lady there with a cane. Don't stop. You're looking for trouble. So that's how I functioned. Yeah. And by the middle of this trip, I had already stopped. The doors were open. People were loading in the front. That's they come in and they put their money in the box. Yeah. And I could see in the rearview mirror. There were five young guys who had been lying down in the grass on the side. They all had jackets. They get up, they go to the back doors, they pry the doors open, and then there's silence on the bus. And they walk to the front. Now the front of these old CTA buses, the seats were parallel with the windows. Gotcha. And then you had normal seating. Yeah. So the man in charge, and you could tell he was in charge, because he had a gun. He sits down right behind me. And by then everyone's loaded and I start to take off. And uh, children, put your hands over your ears. He says to me, what's a white motherfucker like you doing in my hood? So I said, I go to school here. He said, school? What kind of school? Law school. In fact, it's right over there. He yells out to the other four, I just found me my lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> you make your way to Calistoga. Yep. And, uh, and I remember meeting you and, and Linda. You guys have stayed at, you stayed at Solage. Um, and that's where I met you. But... You know, what, what made you guys, you know, really made that commitment that you wanted to make this your, your kind of permanent space and your permanent home? Well, for years, I wanted to buy a second home. Because mm -hmm. barristers really only work about eight months of the year. Mm -hmm. When you're a senior barrister, if the courts are closed, there really isn't that much for you to do. Yeah. You, you can get work. Yeah. But, you know, my view was, <laughs> why bother? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we would take these long holidays. Mm -hmm. And wherever we went, I would say to Linda, what about here? No. And I won't take you through all the places she said no to. Yes, yeah. But we were... Um, at Solage, 
was the third year of, of our visits. The, and in that third year, we stayed there for a month. And I, I had stopped asking her about, I figured it would never happen. Yeah. And she turned to me and said, would you like to see a real estate agent? I thought, that's a sign. So I said yes. And um, it didn't happen immediately, but we found this property with help. Well, actually, Linda found it. Yeah. The broker didn't find it. Um, and basically, the moment I saw it on the internet, I wanted to buy it. Yeah. But she said, you know, maybe you should see it first. Yeah. So, and we had just come back from here. So, a month later, we, we flew back and saw the property, and it, it was even more beautiful than it looked on the internet. So we bought it. Oh. And we intended it as a second home. Yeah. But, so we closed on the deal December of 2011. It's now right before Easter of 2012. We're in our London home. It's right, it's raining, it's cold. Yeah. We're in, in what the Brits call the lower ground, in other words, the basement. Yeah. But in, the, in those houses, those, the basement is a, is a real room. Yeah. So, and that's where we had television. Then you walk outside and there was a garden yeah. and then a garage. So, um, you know, I look outside and it's coming down in buckets and it's cold. And I said to Linda, who was on the, her computer, I said, you know, if anyone knew what we owned in California and saw us here, they would say, we were stupid. <laughs> and she turns back to me and says, do you want to sell? And I said, yes. That's how we made the decision wow. to move here full time. Wow. That's, that's cool. So we're going to kind of talk a little bit about some, some of the f some fitness related things and some nutrition related things. Um, like I said, we've been working together since 2012 and, uh, and, you know, we've kind of gone through different iterations of, you know, getting stronger and, and using the weights. What, um, what has made why did, why did you want to have a personal trainer and why did you want to focus on having consistent training? I, I view the training as being integral to a happy life. Mm -hmm. I think that when I was younger, I didn't have a trainer and <laughs> every workout was identical. Yeah, yeah. Now, I, I was able to get away with that because I was very fit and, you know, I, I've been working out. I, mean, I started working out when I was 12. Yeah. When I bought my first weight set. Um, but, you know, e even through uh, my time at Sherman and Sterling, um, I, I was still doing my own thing. 
we got to London, we actually created um, a gym in our house. Yeah. And Linda found a trainer and we're, who we're still friendly with. Yes, yeah. As I think you, you know. And he was terrific. He would show up 6.30 in the morning, which, which in London is like the middle of the night, cause, you know, <laughs> so dark. And, you know, to, to go out when it's dark and rainy and cold, I mean, you have to be Superman to, to, to train with, under those circumstances. Yeah. But if it's in your own home, it's kind of, it's not so terrible. So, you know, you just brush your teeth and put on your shorts and walk downstairs, open the door and you start to train. Yeah. Um, and he, he was very good. He had done a fair amount of professional sports yep. training and uh, like you, he figured out, you know, what was the best way to deal with me at that time yeah. and Linda, because I'm trying to think. So this would have been 2005, so 15 years ago. So I was 60. Yeah. So, you know, I was in pretty good shape for a 60 year old. Yeah. Um, um, and we had a lot of equipment and a lot of free weights. So I always had a complete workout. Yeah. Um, I can't even remember. We had a treadmill, a rower. We had a, you know, uh, what? Elliptical or? Yeah, an elliptical. Maybe that was it. Or maybe I'm missing one other. Uh, we didn't take any of it with us because it was all set up for the UK. Yeah. We actually gave it away, which was not not the smartest thing ever, <laughs> but we did. Um, so once I had that experience, there was no question we were going to try to find a trainer here. Um, it, in addition, the obvious and sort of keeping yourself reasonably well fit, you make a commitment to your trainer yeah. that you're going to show up. Yeah. And that is a very positive thing. Otherwise, you can easily go to the slippery slope of, you know, going to Bella's and spending the morning <laughs> eating Danish and drinking coffee. Yeah. Um, it's okay to do that after you work out. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a big fan of finding someone who you're comfortable working with because I, I think working out is critical to health. Yeah. It's um, one of the things that, um, that, you know, nutrition is kind of a big part of that. And, um, you know, lately you've been doing what we call the Hugh Jackman diet. <laughs> and if you can explain to the folks what, what the Hugh Jackman diet is and uh, why do you feel it's been helpful for you? So it's a pretty simple diet. Basically, um, you, on the program, you have, for every 24-hour segment, you have eight hours where you're free to eat whatever you're going to eat. Yeah. But for 16, it's a fast. Yeah. So what I've found is the most 
sort of comfortable approach is to um, get up in the morning, you can drink black coffee, no sugar, and, and you can have some dairy. Yeah. I don't, I just drink it black. And then usually, you know, I work out. Yeah. And then I have work to do. Yeah. So it's not difficult to wait until noon for my first food. Even though I do love eating breakfast. Yeah. I, I manage to deal with it. And so I'll have lunch. Then sometimes I'll have a snack at three o'clock, you know, an orange or something. And then we'll eat dinner. But by eight o'clock at night, you close, close down. Yeah. And that's not difficult. And we feed Tina uh, at usually at five or 5.30. We eat at sit between six and seven. Yeah. And by eight o'clock, we're off watching uh, Mrs. Maisel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. And um, kind of one other, one more fitness kind of related thing, and then um, kind of move to another topic is, uh, over the last several years, we've kind of got into doing, uh, especially during the season of, of summer and early spring, getting into the pool and doing aqua workouts. Uh, and, you know, that's, you know, moving away from, we still do the weights, we still do uh, cardio in some conventional ways, but what, you know, what's kind of the thing that, uh, what do you really like about the aqua uh, situation and the workouts? So before I give you that answer, I, I will confess that I view pool workouts as something that old ladies do. Yeah. <laughs> so I, when, whenever it first came up as a possibility, I thought, that's going to be a waste of time. Yeah. Um, of course, I was wrong. Yeah. The reason the aqua workout is so amazing is that when you finish, you feel spectacular. Yeah. It's just being in the water uh, creates a, a feeling that can't be replicated if you're doing a normal workout. Yeah. And I look forward to, now we do it on Wednesdays. I look forward to it every week. Yeah. Um, it's, it's spectacular. And I, I think it, it ends up training different muscles than would be trained in a conventional workout. Yeah. So that's good too. Yeah, totally. Um, you, you know, since you've been here and even in your past, I mean, like I was, you know, looking at and us talking about this, you have done a lot of, uh, uh, charity work and uh, outside of that your your tech start startups um, it's there, there's uh, usually somebody over the age of 75 is not starting into a startup usually usually and 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 I think with our conversation you're not the usual <laughs> So, um, the, what does pay it for it mean to you? It, I think it's a way of saying thank you 
mm-hmm. to all the people who have helped me in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, sometimes when you're young, you might not understand how special the help is. Yeah. And you might not have been properly appreciative. Mm-hmm. And sadly, by the time you recognize that, the people who've helped you are, are dead. Yeah. And so by doing similar things to for younger people, hopefully it's a way to uh, get the scale back in balance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and well, I mean, because there's so many stories, and I wish we had more time to kind of go through it. But the, um, you know, when you when you kind of look back at, you know, where you you grew up, um, you know, we even go too deep into your your family situation and everything, and you know that wasn't you know uh, that wasn't the easiest. But you have all these situations and like even just of what we talked about today and even more stuff that I know, you know, you listen to the old man, you listen to people who were giving you advice. There's also a, a story, maybe, maybe our second go around, we can talk about the story about the sorority that helped you out when you were, how old were you when that happened? In D.C.? In D.C. Uh... Probably it was the summer of '65, so I, I turned 21 that summer. Yeah, and uh, and so you know you, I think the important thing is like within that is the I forget the saying, saying, but you know the wisdom to listen to those who have done things before you and also listen to that advice. I feel like. There has been so many different things of you traveling just to get to Stanford. Like I said, there's so many stories. We, we, we will have to do another round to kind of talk about that. But now the things you've accomplished, you're now at a level where you're doing the things you're doing with the law tech. What, what do you want your legacy to be? Or what do you hope people see when they, when they look back at your, your career and what you've done? It's a tough question because, as you know, I, I don't spend a lot of time looking back. Yes. However, I had an experience at lunch in Singapore mm-hmm. about two years ago with an amazing man, a um, man who's probably the most distinguished lawyer in Singapore. And he told me the answer to your question. Yeah. Um, Towards the end of the lunch, he said, um, how can I help you while you're here? And let's put a purpose. Who was this this individual? What was his, because I think that needs some clarity also. this man is a former Supreme Court Justice in Singapore. He 
sits on the um, board of the Central Bank of Singapore. Mm -hmm. He was formerly the Attorney General of Singapore. Oh. And he's now functioning as an English barrister. Um, he, he is a, a Singapore barrister. Yeah. But he is with one of the very best sets of English barristers in London. Yeah. And he has a, a group in Singapore that he's running. And he was ma making himself clear that whatever help I needed, he was prepared to offer if he could. And I must have looked a little surprised because, mm -hmm. candidly, uh, I, I wouldn't have asked help. I, I know him and I've spent time with him, mm -hmm. but not a lot over the years. And he said, Ron, um, you need to understand why I'm, I've offered this to you. So I smiled and I said, I would like to know that. And he said, I've looked at your CV. Mm -hmm. And he said, you have the most amazing career of any lawyer I know. Yeah. Uh, I was. That's that's one high compliment. Yeah. 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 So. That's my answer. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, yeah, that's really cool. I, I hold you in very high regard. I, I think the way that you've gone about creating your own company is amazing. And I debated telling you in advance what my question was going to be. Yeah. But I forgot. So I apologize. Okay. My, my question is this. Looking back over the past few years, can you identify three things that you've learned while becoming a, an absolutely first-class entrepreneur? So ask that again, I wanna, and then I want to soak it in, and then I'm going to give you the answer. So three things. Three things that you've learned in the process of becoming a first-class entrepreneur? Um, yeah, there's, there's definitely, set, you, being an entrepreneur is humbling. So that is definitely um, something. But I would say the, the things that I've, I've learned is that um, I feel like you can truly affect change being an entrepreneur. And I think it's very similar to what you said as being a barrister of you can say no. You know, I don't say no that often, but 
you can say no, and you can really be focused on the thing that you're trying to accomplish. Um, and that's something I learned, and, and you don't fully get and understand until you become an entrepreneur. Um, I think the other thing that you learn is that uh, respect the process, continue to respect it. Um, it you know, um, and, and within that process is have a partner by your side that's, that's willing to work just as hard as you, but sometimes even more. Um, I think we've, we've both succeeded in that lane. We're fortunate. Yeah. And, and so that, that part is what I've learned is that um, our success, um, you know, I, I do think I could have been successful without my partner, but I can't be as happy and successful, you know, without her. So I, I know that um, she, she balances me out along with the kids. Um, and then, um, the, the other thing, I kind of already had this, but I always kind of come back to it. It's something kind of within the process is that, um, being consistent to the point that people can count on you. Um, it's, it's kind of going through that, that part of it of like, you know, even when the expectation's on you, can you still deliver? Um, and if you do some of the basics as an entrepreneur and you just show up, some of it just showing up, you're already ahead of the game. Because a lot of people just don't show up, you know? So um, those are some of the few things I've, I've learned. Thank you. Yeah. That was insightful. Thank you. Do you have any other questions? Nope. All right. Since it was a three-parter, I thought that was enough. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. Well, this has uh, been really amazing. Um, thank you again for joining me on Trainers Talks. And uh, I think uh, we'll, we'll have to, you know, do this again and, and uh, you know, maybe go through some more stories because there's, there's, <laughs> there's a well of stories. And I feel like we're, we were in a two-foot swimming pool today uh, <laughs> on some of the, st the stories that you had and uh, and uh, I look forward to seeing you guys um, next week but this one is a was a treasure thank you again thanks coach <laughs>